something you've been putting off. Maybe you say, someday I'll do that, or when I have more time. Whether the item is a big bucket list item or something smaller like going on a hike, now is the time to start your Say Yes list. And we have the perfect process to help you turn these items into reality. Join thousands of others with our free Say Yes list template at thesayyesexperience.com forward slash list. It'll help you stop living in that someday and start making those list items come true today. So download it now at thesayyesexperience.com forward slash list. Welcome to the Say Yes Experience podcast, where we inspire you to get out of your comfort zone and into possibilities. Our mission at the Say Yes Experience is to empower 10 million people to say yes. If you're new here, welcome. We're thrilled you're here. I'm Just Corrector. I co-founded the Say Yes Experience with my then nine-year-old son, Blaze, based off his idea to let's just say yes to things. I'm one of the top experts on burnout, and companies and conferences hire me to present on mental health, wellness, and burnout prevention. As a number one best-selling author of 11 books, keynote speaker, and a burnout specialist, I've seen so much with our clients. The Say Yes Experience was started to help you really start living, to do the things that light you up, have more fun, and turn your dreams, or what we call Say Yes list items, into reality. So thank you for investing in yourself and being here. Now let's make it happen. Our guest today took his stage four cancer diagnosis and flipped it on its head. As a 41-year-old, he gave himself some surprising options. The first one, he decided to do something that no one else would think about doing during their chemotherapy and radiation treatments, and it saved his life. Then he created a massive ripple effect when his determination got a law passed that now saves thousands of lives. So please help me welcome my guest today, Steve Cooper. Thanks for being on the show, Steve. We're so excited you're here. So you have an interesting story. You were diagnosed with cancer. So tell us a little bit about that. And then that kind of transitions over into a second part of what we're going to talk about as well. But give us a little bit, bit of background on that first. Yeah, absolutely. So I was diagnosed in 2012 with a very aggressive form of prostate cancer that metastasized and became a stage four disease. And um, I've been battling that ever since. Wow. Okay. So it was very aggressive. And so what did the doctors, what kind of cancer was it? And what did the doctors share with you when they told you the news? Sure. So it was a stage four disease spread to my lymph nodes and pelvic bone. And I was given six to 12 months initially to live because of the, the um, intensity of the disease and because of the spread. So it was really difficult, right? When you're told that yeah. you have six to 12 months to live and you're 41 years of age, yeah. it really puts a lot of things in perspective for you. Yeah. So what did you, what did you immediately think? Were you like, okay, well, here's all the things that I need to go and do but before that six months or 12 months, or what were those immediate thoughts that came into your mind? And, and quite frankly, were you shocked that you had this? I mean, were you going and getting regular checkups or, or did you not ever go to the doctor and then you were feeling, you know, some kind of symptoms. So you then went and got checked. So, you know, initially there's the fight or flight um, situation that we face. I think when we're presented with something that's, you know, really insurmountable as it seems Absolutely. at the time. And so, so that was, I think the first phase is, 
do I fight or do I flight? Right. And so I think that was it. And, you know, I chose to fight. You asked a great question also about, you know, the situation and, you know, the disease itself, what are some of the, you know, successes and why was I diagnosed at my age? And so I started thinking a lot about this and, you know, it's difficult because prostate cancer typically is associated with being an, an older man's disease. Yes. Upwards of 60, 70 years old. And it was really difficult because this disease especially affects reproductive organs, abilities to have erection, maintain urinary control, things of that nature. And so that was really difficult being 41, being single, really, it's a lot more than just the disease itself. It's like, wow, this can affect literally every part of my life and my lifestyle. And so that was really difficult, I think, in part because we don't discuss this disease very much. Um, There's a lot of unknown. Myself, my father was a doctor, you know, so I was, you know, I was in hospitals, I was around doctors, but even, you know, myself being 41, I wasn't educated at all about the disease. Um, And so, you know, the one thing that I decided to do was, you know, when I first was faced with this decision to to fight or flight was, you know, I want to inspire the people. Um, I want to educate them. And so I think sharing our story is a big part. And I mean, us meaning people in the cancer community, or any, anyone that's struggling, any adversity for that matter, right. should really consider sharing your story because you're probably not the only one in the world facing this particular issue. Right. I don't really know many people in the world, if any, that have an issue that no one's ever had before, right? right. And so maybe Absolutely. there's a couple outliers out there, right? Maybe there's a president, that, you know, whatever, convicted of a crime. But I mean, even that is so random, right? I think much more important you can share that message of inspiration and hope for other people so they can not only learn, but then take preventive measures so that hopefully they don't have to deal with the same disease you have. Or Absolutely. 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 But when you get that prognosis stage four cancer, even when you say, okay, fight or flight, when you say I'm going to fight, it's stage four cancer. So when you're saying, okay, I'm going to fight, what, what did that mean to you in terms of getting through it? So, you know, I, I always envision a mountain and you just, when you're, when you look at a challenge and when you're told it's a stage four disease, you just think of Mount Everest. That's Mm -hmm. what I think of. And you think of, wow, it's probably the hardest physical feat in terms of walking is to climb Mount Everest. And so I look at with stage four disease, you're not only climbing Mount Everest, you're doing it with a lot of weight on your back, leading other people, um, bad weather, and on and on and on, right? Every obstacle you can imagine is going to be thrown in your your way. Yeah. But one thing I've learned just following people that have been very successful is where you look is where you're going to go. And so I think if you stay focused on that, that objective, that mountaintop, I think you can get there in the right circumstances. So, so that, that's probably the best knowledge I can think of is that you have to climb Mount Everest and you have a lot of challenges, but literally you have to break it down into one step at a time. Yes. And I think in the cancer world, that means, okay, first step. And if for most of us is to get the tumor out of the body, right? Or the tumors. Um, so surgery. And then typically we fall on with some radiation and chemotherapy and other types of anti-hormone therapy, et cetera. So, but when you look at, you think about chemo, radiation, surgery, hormone therapy, it's a lot. And I was very fortunate that I had a, have had and have great doctors that really not only triage this, but helped me focus that 
they didn't talk about chemotherapy and radiation and hormone therapy initially. They talked about getting rid of the cancer. Let's do surgery first. And so that was the first step in you know getting to Mount Everest, right? To the top yeah. was let's just take this cancer out. And then when you get through that, the next phase is going to be, okay, radiation. And you get through that phase and the next step is chemotherapy. However, what I wanted to chat about was I took a much different approach to the cancer treatment that I think a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the amount of exercise that I incorporated into my cancer regimen, if you will. Okay. What's that? What is that? What is that? Like, because most people are not thinking stage four cancer yes. exercise. Go in. Yeah. So, so there's a couple of things. I was doing some research when I first got diagnosed about just being active and exercising during cancer treatments. And there's a couple of fascinating studies. Um, one that showed that people that were giving a placebo chemotherapy, so they were, were not even giving chemotherapy, they still acted like they were sick. And so losing the hair, fatigue, vomiting, diarrhea, et cetera. And so that I kind of flipped it and said, well, if that's true, is the inverse true, right? So if I take the drug, can I still be, have a good attitude, be happy, stay healthy, not vomit, um, not lose my hair, et cetera, et cetera. So, so, so that was the first thing was trying to flip the script there. And then there was that's an interesting true. study about women with breast cancer who rode a stationary bicycle during chemotherapy during the session itself. And those women that did just 30 to 45 minutes of of light pedaling during the chemo infusion, not only reported less side effects, but what they also found was they had a less recurrence of the disease itself. Wow. And that's powerful. So that's very powerful. I said, if I put all this together, what does that mean for me? So what that meant for me was I started Googling hardest physical event on earth in, in, in a single day. And this thing called the Ironman kept popping up. And, and I had no idea what the Ironman was. And that's a race, a triathlon. It's considered the hardest physical event in a get 24-hour period on earth. And you swim two and a half miles, which is just ridiculous, I think, if you're not a swimmer. Um, then you bike 112 miles all over the place. And then you complete a marathon after all that madness. And so... Oh in total, you're doing over 140 miles in a single day. And so I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do. When I was told I had radiation, I said, I'm going to do an Ironman during radiation. And what that did for me was it gave me not only a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, but I substituted my typical, the typical cancer support group, which for prostate cancer is a bunch of old men sitting around a circle complaining about their lives. And so now my support group were people that were in their prime, doing the hardest event on earth, very optimistic, most positive people you'll find. And so when I would go to a group ride, for example, and they'd say, how are you feeling today, Steve? I'm like, "Ah, not too great. They're like, all right, great. Pat on the back. Let's go ride 30 miles or let's go ride 70 miles. And so they listen, but then it was a pat on the back. Let's go. You can do this and let's go for a bike ride or let's go for a runner's man. And so what I found that I want to share with you that I'll just, it's just, to me, to this day, I still look back in awe about what we accomplished was that my Ironman time, the time to complete the event during chemotherapy was faster than during radiation time. So I did did Ironman during radiation. And then when I did it during chemotherapy, I was actually faster. And so 
What we, we break that down, my trainer actually did little mini physical assessments of people during chemotherapy as I continue to exercise. And in terms of like push-ups and pull-ups and things of that yeah. nature, I actually got stronger during chemotherapy um, because I was exercising towards a goal, which is the second part, doing an Ironman during chemotherapy. Wow. Okay. Now that like blows, blows the mind, right? right. So... And how long has it been since you had cancer? You said 2012, so... So 10 years, so so I've been 10 years cancer-free now. Yeah, how incredible is that? Oh my gosh, congratulations, that's exciting. That's such a shift in mentality and mindset, too, because not only do people think that, you know, just the public in general think that when you have chemotherapy you're going to be laying in bed because you need that time to recover. You're going to be sick. You're going to be weak, but yet running or doing an Ironman where you're swimming, biking and running doing during chemotherapy and radiation. That sounds like mind blowing because I think what we've learned so much about cancer, those seem like polar opposites of what you'd want to do during that time or what your body needs during that time. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Or even what your body needs during that time, like it needs to recover, it needs to recharge, it needs to just lay there. But when you're going through and training, I mean, that just seems so fascinating. And I wonder what the cancer rates would be if more people started doing that kind of exercise through cancer or the cancer survival rates how much they would continue to increase if people were doing that exercise through it. And that's probably information that a lot of people who have cancer don't even know about. Right. I agree hundred percent. Not only would, if we exercise more and and I'm in that boat, I could go through phases where I need to exercise more. um, We would reduce the cancer rate. And then also when we exercise during our treatments, we can not only reduce the side effects, but also reduce the reoccurrence of the disease itself. And so, um, it's it's really mind blowing. There's um, yeah, and there's a small movement now. There's there's universities studying this exact issue, the effects of um, exercise during cancer treatments. To where Sloan yeah. Kettering predicts that one day they will have you will get when you go to your doctor and you're given a diagnosis of cancer, you will also receive a prescription for exercise. Um, that's awesome. That prescription for exercise will be highly tailored toward your specific disease, your genetics, your risk that's, factors, everything, your body so cool. type. Yeah. And so you just can imagine if someone's diagnosed with, you know, just take breast cancer. Okay. Might not be doing a lot of push-ups, right. Or a lot of pull-ups, right. but they might be able to do some jogging and some, some other type right. of sit-ups perhaps. So I, I'm just throwing that out there, you know, as an example. Yes. Yes, um, I love that. That prescription for exercise can be powerful for the future. You know, and I, how do you think that that exercise also uh, helped with the emotional aspect? Because as you're talking about, like the things that you're, you're 41, like in the prime of your life and you're single. So you were talking about the things that prostate cancer can impact. So that's got to emotionally take a toll on you as well. Do you think that there's a correlation between that exercise and and, uh, emotionally healing, if you will? Do you want to start saying yes, but you just don't know where to start? And oftentimes when we don't know where to start, we just don't start. So we created an ebook just for you. 
we put together 101 ways to say yes in this ebook. Ideas, big and small, things that only take a small amount of time, like one to two minutes. Whether you're saying yes to yourself and your family, relationships, or pushing yourself lovingly outside of your comfort zone with adventures, it's all made to really help you become more of your rock star self. So you can get this ebook at thesayyesexperience.com forward slash book, B-O-O-K. So if you want to start saying yes, or maybe you need some ideas on how to say yes because you get so caught up in being busy and doing tasks and projects or doing laundry and cooking that the time flies by and you want to spend time with your family but you just don't know how to say yes. Those ideas just don't come to you. We put it together to make it super, super easy for you. So go to thesayyesexperience.com forward slash book to get your copy today and start saying yes now. Are you feeling overwhelmed, stressed, or burned out? We get it. You're not alone. In fact, according to our research, 79% of the workforce is in burnout and almost half are in extreme burnout. In fact, it's the number one reason why people are leaving organizations. They're burned out. They're looking for something more. They're looking for something better. But it doesn't have to be that way. We have your solution. It's called Blaze Your Brain to Extinguish Burnout. 52 Keys to Prevent, Breakthrough, and Eliminate Burnout. You can find your copy at jessicarector.com forward slash store. Now, this is a great tool that you can use with yourself, with your colleagues, within your organization. Everyone can get one and you can go through one a week with them. And at the end, you can say, what was something that worked this week? What was the success you had? So you can champion and encourage each other. You can also ask what were the challenges and issues that came up so you can mastermind and brainstorm around those to keep those from coming up in the future. So make sure you get your copy at justcorrector.com forward slash store. All books are autographed with a personal message just for you. A hundred percent. I do. I do believe and I did believe in cognitive based therapy, psychology, you know, or counseling sessions, if you will. Um, I started counseling when I first got diagnosed. I stayed consistent um, every month during my treatments and after treatments um, to deal with the side effects, the depression, the anxiety that comes with any significant challenge like that. But I didn't take one antidepressant during the whole time of radiation, chemo, and surgery, and very limited pain medications, if any. Um, and so I look back and I think about, you know, when you're able to exercise at a higher level or even any level compared to where you're at, I think you can really try to prevent some, prevent some of the anxiety and depression that come with that type of diagnosis. Yes, I think oh, so fascinating, Steve. And it's so inspiring as well. But one thing when we first chatted that you said to me that made such an impact on me is that you said you had two choices. You could either basically give up or you could make a difference and you chose to make a difference. Yeah. So share with me a little bit more about what that make a difference means to you and how you've been able to do that. Absolutely. So it was that it was give up or try to inspire other people. And so that inspiration or that goal to inspire the people is what really kept me going when things 
don't get me wrong. It wasn't just I got the diagnosis. I did the Ironmans and everything was great, yeah. right? There were many challenges in between there. But what really kept me going was trying to inspire other people. And so there were days during chemotherapy that I had, you know, I was wiped out. I had just done, you know, maybe a hundred mile bike ride during chemo or ran a marathon during chemo. And a few days later, I was completely wiped out. But then, and though I would post on social media, you know, look, I just did a, a marathon during chemotherapy and I did a lot of support. But then three days later, when I could barely walk around the kitchen, I would post that video as well to show people that there are highs and there are lows. And yes. then what matters is there I'm at that low. What is the next situation going to be? And hopefully it's going to be another high. And so um, I think that's the compelling part is when you can try to share the story of the not just the highs when you win, yes. but at the bottom, right? Because that's where I think you really just decide and learn who you are as a person with internal gratitude. Um, yes. I can get through this and try to make a difference for other people. And you can, and in that message of you can do, and there's exactly another right. way that you're making a difference and also a really big way when you took on the VA. So sure. I, I mean, literally that has, and will continue to change lives and save lives of what you did based on your situation. So tell us about that. Sure. So one, um, there was a large, to, to really summarize, there was a large failure uh, systemically at the VA and in particular the Veterans Administration we're referring to, and in particular in Phoenix, um, for a lot of reasons, Phoenix was overloaded um, and overwhelmed with the population growth, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of veterans flocked towards um, Phoenix for the great weather and low price of entry for a home and a lot of other variables. And so at that point, um, the VA system in Phoenix was specifically became overloaded and overwhelmed. Um, it took me two years just to get in to see a primary care provider. And when I finally saw a doctor, they, they diagnosed that I had a large prostate, but they were at that time too lazy and too overwhelmed to want to send me to a urologist for further screening and testing. And because of that failure, my disease spread and it spread to become a stage four disease. Um, mm -hmm. At that time, hundreds of veterans like myself died at the Phoenix VA um, oh. because their prostate cancer specifically spread and then they ended up succumbing to that disease. When prostate cancer, when caught early, is 99% mm -hmm. you know, beatable when caught early. Mm -hmm. And so we lost hundreds of veterans just in Phoenix alone um, because there's providers that were overworked and undereducated and you had bad morale and, and just were it just on and on, right? It was a real yeah. disaster. So that's heartbreaking, look, it's very heartbreaking. When, it is. And when I look back on it, the, the part that still doesn't set right with me is that, well, ironically, so I used the tools that the military taught me for surveillance and you know investigative work to break the story. And so um, my dad was a doctor, as I mentioned. I knew what good medicine looked like from watching him. Yeah. UCLA. I knew what bad medicine looked like when I got to the VA. And so I knew I had to do something about it. So I started contacting the media and putting together a lot of data for them. And finally, uh, Drew Griffith has passed away um, from CNN. He came out and helped me break the story at the VA that something wrong was happening. What we didn't know at the time was that this was systemic. This wasn't just in Phoenix. This was nationwide. Um, uh. was the problem. And so... Um, what I mentioned earlier, what doesn't set right with me is that so many doctors, so many nurse practitioners, so many staff members, 
so many veterans themselves, I'll say it, so many veterans and family members knew what was happening, knew that their people, that these veterans that were heroes, the backbone of our country, were not getting proper health care. But no one wanted to speak up about it. And when you break yeah. it down, you look at the doctors and the nurses. They're making six figures. They have a comfortable job. If you're a urologist at the VA, say, for example, you make a quarter million a year, whether you do one surgery a year or 50 surgeries a year. So literally, you mm -hmm. default back to zero because these are bureaucratic positions and a bureaucratic institution. And so the default became do no work versus let's do a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And so they had no incentive to speak up and lose their cushy job. The right. nurses had no incentive as well to lose their cushy job. The staff members didn't want to lose their jobs. And then the veterans are in a particular, particular predicament because they receive a pension typically when they're at the VA. So they're a veteran, they're disabled, they're going to the VA, and they get anywhere from $1,000 to $4,000 a month for their disabilities they incur while serving our nation. They don't want to jeopardize that. So you had a system where no one wanted to speak up. And I said to myself, that's not right. Um, someone's got to speak up, and we did. And so, um, but as I mentioned, it still doesn't set right with me. I've talked to so many doctors and nurses and administrators that work at the VA since we broke the scandal, since my lawsuit that we won. And they told me we knew things were, were wrong and we didn't speak up. And they would even tell me, I had a doctor just last week say, I worked at the VA. The secretary of the VA announced that this is several years ago. The things are great. We're doing well. Um, Steve Cooper is just, you know, in his own other world. And um, the doctor's like, we all knew that this was wrong, but not one of those doctors would speak up, not one. And so that's probably, when I look back in life, the most unsettling thing that I've experienced because as I mentioned with the, the, the Iron Man, my goal was to try to inspire others. Yeah. When I'm faced with the challenge of the VA, I want to inspire the people. In, in this case, it was to speak up and try to do the right thing for the people. But unfortunately, monetary reasons have prevented people from wanting to speak up and tell the truth. And so when we finally got enough people that, that, that had the courage and the, the personal integrity to speak up, things moved quickly and they moved, you know, real well in the right direction to where I was invited to be at the Rose Garden when President Trump signed legislation four years ago that said, if you're a veteran and you need health care and the VA cannot or will not offer that care, you have a right to get that care in the community. And oh, so, I love that. yeah. And so that's, I think, as I said, not is it's very unsettling to me, but remember we talk about high points and low points. Yeah. The low high point for me was okay, we won a big lawsuit, but then the low point is I can't I couldn't get other people before then to speak up and tell the truth. High points of lawsuit, we win. Low point is again, people still don't want to speak up because they don't want to lose their benefits, they don't want to lose their income. And so high point again is we get to the, the Rose Garden, we get legislation signed that we advocate yes. for. And so that's why I take away from all of this is that. When you're going through hell, there are going to be some really great moments. Mm -hmm. And those great moments are what you have to hold on to and cherish. Because at the end of the day, that's all we have are those great moments. Yeah. And because you were willing to speak up, though, you passed a law for them to get better, to get better care. Now, if we're looking at that 
from a point now are those same things, even after the lawsuit, even after winning, even after VA knows that, are they still operating in the same way that they were before? Are they still doing the exact same things that they were before? Yes. And um, it's political and I, I don't want to get into politics per se, but just to give it just a real high level, quick you know, 20 second analysis is that when the administration changed, things kind of went back to the way they were before. Um, and there's a lot to it. There's unions involved. It, it just goes right. on and on. So, however, even though things have gone back to the way they were in many respects, it's out there now, right? Nine out of 10 people that I talk to have eight out of 10 at least have heard about the veterans are having a hard time getting the right care at the hospital and in the community. Yeah. And so I think that that's winning, that's cherishing a moment of success yeah. that it's out there now. And so now all eyes are on the VA to do the right thing for the veterans. And as much as I just beat them up, I will give them some credit on the side of processing their claims. So when a veteran gets out of the military and they want to get their benefits, it used to take five to six years for us to receive those benefits from the government. Gosh. Because of our work, veterans literally I've seen get benefits as quick as 30 to 60 days now after they've awesome. service. So or file a claim. So so because of the pressure, things are getting systemically better on one side of the house. But yes. on the medical side, there's still a long way to go. You know, and it's it's so fascinating because oftentimes we don't think about all those things that are involved with uh, veterans getting the medical attention that they need. And what I love about, though, is that this law, because you fought and because you decided to make a difference, it literally is helping so many people out there and helping people become more aware of the problem. When people are more aware of the problem, then they can do something about it as well. But also giving all the veterans a voice. So now if they feel like they're not getting care because people are at the VA, that people are choosing like their job over really speaking up, sometimes overdoing the right things. When they don't, when they're not getting that care at the VA, they have another option. They can go and get it somewhere else. And so you really allowed veterans voice voices everywhere to be heard when that law was passed, because now, even if a veteran wasn't able to speak up for themselves before, you spoke up for them, law was changed. And now because of that, they can go out and get the care that they need. And literally, Steve, that that in itself is saving so many lives. So you're not just an inspiration in having cancer, overcoming cancer and persevering through that, but doing an man through cancer, but also just in you making the decision that you are going to be the voice. And maybe it was a subconscious decision, right? Maybe you just said, this can't continue to happen. I've got to help people. But you, what you really were is a voice for all the people who be a voice for themselves. And that's, that's the difference that you're really making in the world. Yeah. Thank you, Jessica. And I appreciate that. And, and that's really what I want to share was that, you know, when you're faced with life or death situation, you can quit or you can try to inspire the people. That's how I see it. And so the magnitude of change that we've been able to, to bring about to the table has been a lot, been, been big in the exercise world for cancer patients, plus, you know, helping veterans out. But that giving back and trying to inspire their people has helped me more than I can ever express because 
there's been support from so many different angles and different perspectives and different you know groups that reinforce that what I try to say earlier was whenever you face a challenge, whatever that big challenge is, I really inspire people to share. And, and you don't have to go on Facebook and tell the world that you have cancer or you don't have to go do an Ironman and you don't have to sue the government. But I think sharing with friends and family or people that you trust um, and sometimes even just, you know, a stranger. But what I, the, the approach that I, I don't, I'm not a fan of is when I see people that I love and I know going through hard times, they'll, they'll make a social media post and say, I'm going through hard things, but I just can't, you know, just can't share anything about it or I don't want to share anything about it. And I think that's a real problem because through sharing our story, that's how we make progress. That's how we can inspire the people. And that's how we can get to that next level in life. Yes. Get the support that we need because every human needs support. So thank you so much for being here, Steve. I love you being able to share your story and helping so many people and choosing to make a difference for all the people out there and being a voice for people. So thank you so much for being here. How are you going to go out and, and share your story with others? Like Steve says, go out and share your story, no matter what you're going through. Someone somewhere has been through it. And by sharing your story, you're also going to help the people behind you, the people who have yet to go through it, know that they have that help whenever they do go through it. They have that help and the support and that someone somewhere has been through it. And then you form that connection, which is what we all need. So whenever you're faced with the challenge, I love Steve's approach. You can either give up or you can make a difference. And we know you're going to choose to make a difference. So thanks for being here. Have an amazing day. Bye-bye. Are you ready to move to your next level of rockstar greatness? CFO, Chief Fund Officer, number one best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Blaze Rector, is ready to help you do that. At just 10 years old, he's already written two number one best-selling books. Through the power of storytelling, he uses lessons learned and shares strategies, tips, tactics, and tools to inspire, empower, and motivate you to live a more amazing life. So if you're ready to do that in your own life, grab a copy of his number one best-selling books at justcorrector.com forward slash store. And when you order your copies, he will personally autograph them and write you a message on those books before shipping them out to you to really inspire and empower you in your life. These books are great for adults and kids alike. So if you're ready to move to your next level of rockstar greatness, make sure you grab your copy at justcorrector.com forward slash store. Enjoy those amazing, empowering, transformational books. Did you know that the two biggest issues impacting the workforce are mental health and burnout? Well, we have your solution. The more that you feel burned out, the more it impacts your mental health. The more your mental health is impacted, the more it leads to burnout. So it's a vicious cycle that goes around and around, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can help them both if you're intentional and strategic with it. We have lots of resources for you at justcorrector.com forward slash store. One that I want to highlight that really enhances your mental health is Tame Your Brain Game, 52 Tips to Turn Negative Thoughts into Positive Action. Now, research shows that 80% of your thoughts are negative. No matter how positive you feel, 
It's the pattern and the habit that you've developed over the course of years, over the course of decades. And that can often impact your life, how you show up, how you lead, how you communicate, how you engage, whether at work or at home. And then it also impacts a work environment. All you need is one NN or TT, negative Nancy or toxic Tim, to really impact that work environment. So if you are ready to enhance your mental health, get your copy of Tame Your Brain Game, 52 Tips to Turn Negative Thoughts into Positive Action today at justcorrector.com forward slash store. All books are autographed with a personal message just for you. Thank you so much for being here. Check us out at thesayyesexperience.com. Our mission at the Say Yes Experience is to empower 10 million people to say yes. With your help in sharing our podcast, we can do that. Follow us on all social media at the Say Yes Experience and join our free community at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the Say Yes Experience. Thank you again to our guest. You can find all the contact information for our guest in the show notes. Thank you to our CFO, Chief Fun Officer, Blaze Rector, our business advisor, Lisa Rehurik, and to our team at Jessica Rector Enterprises. We look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Have an amazing day and keep being a rock star.